Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 185 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. How are you today? Bringing my peppy girl today because Joe said that, uh, you know, it's a little weird that I cussed early in the morning. So I've decided that I'm going to be different today. So instead of getting cussing Barb, we got super annoying peppy Barb. Yeah, you got the peppy one. Yes, yes. I did my my hair uh, hot pink for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. A nod to all of those females out there and males as well that are fighting it or have fought it. My best friend Sharon has gone through it twice. And so I've colored my hair hot pink. Just in patches. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah, let's get a picture of that on social media. Okay, I'll send it. <laughs> so you guys busy this week? Yeah, we yeah. are busy this week. How are you? I'm doing great. I spent all week up in the Detroit area. Oh, that's where I was born. No shit, really? Yeah, city of Kid Rock, baby. I didn't know you were born in Detroit. Heck yeah, and I'm proud of it. Polish girl, born in Detroit. Yep. No kidding. I yeah. had no idea. How'd you like it? Terrible highway system. Yeah. Other than that, it's they, there are some really, really big, good labs out there. Yeah. I had no idea. There's a lot of good labs. You're getting a lot of exposure. I think that's great. I liked it. It's really good. And everybody is super busy, yeah. which is awesome. I think we're hitting that end of the year, coming down to it. Someone told me in Michigan, their big insurance company, their benefits end in October. So I think they got like this crazy rush this time of the year. Yeah. All yeah, right. Good stuff. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was, no, I was a little uh, ADD there for a minute. Okay. I'm yeah. back. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes listening to you, I just have to go another place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, man, the... <laughs> I guess that's my bitch barb. The peppy love is real. <laughs> There's my bitch barb. Sorry. So something really exciting happened last week. I got a message on our Instagram account from a couple of guys that are doing a dental laboratory podcast in Portugal. Oh, come on. Yes. Did they start before or after us? Long after. They just kind of got started. Good. Okay. So they are called, you know, I butcher the American words, so here we go. Conversa a (laughs) bancada. You do butcher American words. That's funny. Yeah. Can you imagine Portuguese words? So so they said it translates roughly to talking at the bench. Interesting. I mean, you can listen to it. It's everywhere you find podcasts. I listened to part of an episode. It is all in Portuguese. <laughs> but they really reached out because they took some of our memes oh. that we make and translated it into Portuguese. Oh, and I'm happy. That's cool. by all means, go for it. Yeah, you know, I got to give you a shout out. They are pretty awesome. And that is all <laughs> you for our uh, listeners, of course. He's the brilliance behind the podcast and the memes. <laughs> you do have quite a sense of humor. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I just call it as I see it. Yeah, so. <laughs> pretty cool. So it's kind of neat. I kind of like the idea that there's other podcasts in other countries doing what we're doing. I think it's two guys. I don't know. But if you're interested or if you know Portuguese or if you don't know Portuguese, you just want to hear about our industry in another language, I'll put a link up on this episode show notes. You can check it out. Just don't go searching for what I said because I'm sure I horribly mispronounced it. <laughs> And there you have it. You got to have that at least once an episode. <laughs> oh, no. It'll be a later here in a bit. Mm. Conversa uh, Banaka. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's happening? You want to talk about Whitmix? <gasps> yes. We're less than three weeks away from the Whitmix Digital Forum. Everybody out there, we're going to be there in Louisville, Kentucky, October 29th and 30th. So we're going to record as many attendees, speakers, vendors, and of course, we got to give the Preet shout out for Elvis. We'll be at the Preet booth. We just talked to Bernie and there are a few spots left to sign up. Don't wait and don't miss this event. I don't know if you've taken a look at it, but it's an awesome lineup. And you can listen to episode 183 of the podcast to hear all about it. So head over to witmix.com forward slash events to register. And we hope to see you there. Super excited. I'm finally with Elvis. Yay. Yeah. I hope I recognize you. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> Not with pink hair. Nope. 
So this week, we talked to a gentleman that has seen so many aspects of our industry, it's actually no surprise that he's spending his later years helping other labs succeed. We welcome David Avery to the podcast. David was classically trained at the Durham Technical School, spent some time in an in-house working with a prostodontist, owned his own lab, then he ran a large operation for over 30 years, and he taught courses at various schools to technicians and clinicians around the globe. This guy has seen it all. Heck, he was even one of the founding members that started the foundation of dental laboratory technology, and now he's back on the board to keep contributing to the efforts to bring quality educational opportunities to all technicians. This guy is jammed with knowledge. Oh, wow. We talk about his past, who has influenced him, what he sees in the industry, and what labs and technicians can do to prepare for the next phase of our profession. So join us as we chat with David Avery. Grow3x is a dental supply service and marketing company. It was founded by Norbert Ulmer, and their goal is to help dental labs, especially small labs, to lower their costs for supplies, to provide business opportunities, and help them generate growth. They really want to help labs as they know how difficult it can be competing with larger lab groups. One of the things that they have going on right now is their upcoming Grow3x Gem Talks. It's on November 5th in Charlotte, North Carolina. What is a Grow3x Gem Talks? Well, it's an all-day marketing symposium in a TED Talk style featuring some 10-plus lab speakers as they share their most relevant and practical marketing techniques. We will hear from Sasha. <laughs> we will hear from Sasha from Harvest Dental, Ann Kelser from AMK Dental Lab, Frankie Acosta from AA Dental Design, and Ricky Braswell from Beyond Coaching and former co-executive director of the NADL. A few past podcast guests are on that list. All of them will talk about real marketing as it is done in their own labs and businesses every day. Register now at Grow3x.com to take advantage of their early bird special of only $95. And if you enter the discount BFTB for Voices from the Bench, you'll receive an extra 10% discount just because you listen to this podcast. We can't wait to see you at Grow3x Gym Talks in Charlotte on November 5th. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. I'll clean it all up. Everything will be beautiful by the time it goes out. Well, there's no question. I've been checking out some of your podcasts, and actually I was just listening to some of Jim Gorgel's program with Larry Weiss, and that brought back memories for me because, uh, of course, I was at Drake and a founding member of Dental Resource Alliance, and and just hearing uh, Jim talk about all that uh, really joggles the memory, but I'm excited to be on, and I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sorry it took so long to get you on. (laughs) Well, I didn't push buttons, and uh, you've obviously had a lot of people that were very interested in being here, and uh, you've done a fantastic job. You and Barb have really created something very special here. No, I appreciate that. Sometimes it's good to hear it because you just keep releasing and releasing, and it's good to get feedback every now and again. Well, of course, and uh, I've got enough experience under my belt now with LabGab to know that uh, I'm nowhere near the caliber that you are. But, you know, as you found, I know it's uh, the more you do it, the better it gets. So, Absolutely. Don't go back to listen to the first 20 episodes. They're terrible. (laughs) Actually, I probably will. (laughs) You want to know how not to do it? Go back to the first five episodes. Well, you've got a radio voice if there ever was one. You do a nice job. Well, I appreciate that. We are excited to welcome to the podcast someone I've seen on stage a couple times who is amazing, I must say, at uh, what are you, uh, the, the panel discussion. What do you call when you host it? Moderator. Moderator, who is amazing moderator at the last panel I saw. I think it was the FDLA. You did a wonderful job. It was a great, great program. David Avery, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, sir. You've been in this industry. I'm not going to insult you by saying a very long time, but you've been around. 
Yeah, we were using uh, stone tablets and chisels when I started. I heard earlier in a podcast with Jim Gorgel, he was talking about handwriting, logging cases in, and that's how far back I go. We used to keep a spiral-bound notebook to log in the doctor's case and the patient's name, uh, and that was the system prior to going to computers. So it's uh, 1974 is when I started uh, school at Durham Technical Institute. So you went to Durham there in North Carolina. Nice. I grew grew up in Durham and it was by that uh, blessing of proximity that I ended up stumbling into this business, not knowing anything about it and ended up within four months of discovering what a laboratory was, uh, being in the program and, and the rest is history, as I say. So how did you find out about the program? I had a roommate at the time. I was selling office supplies, and uh, I had a roommate at the time that just graduated from uh, the program, and I paid no attention, had no clue. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day he had his car in the shop, and I needed to pick him up, so we could get him to his car, and I walked into his laboratory, and I said, what the F do you do again, you know? And uh, I was blown away. Uh, You know, it was was a Crown and Bridge laboratory, and they were doing ceramics, of course, and I was totally enamored, and uh, I pursued it and uh, ended up in school four months later. It's the best decision I've ever made other than begging my wife to marry me. (laughs) Was it that much of a beg? I'm not an easy (laughs) sale. So how long did you live with this roommate while he was in school for this Well, interestingly enough, the first year that I was in school, he was still there. And as so many people in Durham have a tendency to do, uh, especially in the 70s, we want to go west. Some of us made it to Boulder. Some of us made it to Colorado and Boone, North Carolina. But uh, I made it all the way to Charlotte. But Mm. he left after my first year of school and came to Charlotte and uh, opened a laboratory within about four years there. It was very, very successful. And I followed. When I graduated in 76, by 77, I was also in the Charlotte area where I spent 40 years. So did you go work for him? No, no, I did not. I took a job with another laboratory. It's actually Sharer Dental Laboratory in Rock Hill. I was Joe's first hire uh, for sales and marketing. He hired me as a technician. I wanted to be a technician. I did not want to be in sales and marketing, but uh, we made a deal that when I was able to uh, gain enough accounts to keep me busy on the bench that uh, I could come inside and do work. And uh, he expected that to take about six months. And uh, quite candidly, it took me about five weeks. So he was very impressed with that. And and it was easy because they had a great reputation in the state. And uh, so I went on the bench. But every Friday he was calling me in the office, making me another offer, trying to get me back on the road. And he ultimately succeeded. (laughs) So let me get this straight. He hired you as a technician, but you had to go out and get your own accounts before you could do the work. Yeah, he needed more business to keep me busy. And I specialized in removable, by the way. Yeah, to back up just a bit on my story, uh, the second week that I was in school, I was fortunate enough to land a job working nights and weekends for the grad pros technician at UNC. Oh, wow. And that was because I had this community of friends that had graduated from lab school. And one guy said, I'm leaving. I'm going to Charlotte also. And you need to call Jerry. So I called Jerry Dorsett. And so from the second week of school, I was being mentored one-on-one by still today, the best removable technician I've ever known. And I was also only working for prosthodontists. And so I had an entire two years, almost two years of experience working with prosthodontists at the highest level possible and uh, not really knowing that dentistry could be average. But it was a tremendous experience for me and and a God-sent gift to get that break because when I graduated from school, I had the equivalent of five years experience because I'd been mentored one-on-one by him and worked at that level. So, you know, then going forward, when I graduated, everybody wanted me in their laboratory to do uh, removable because we were extremely hard to find as educated technicians. Even back then? (laughs) Oh, yeah, even back then. You say it's worse or better than it is today? (laughs) Today, though, you can't find us. I tell people in my programs that the average age of a fixed technician in this country is somewhere in their late 30s, early 40s now because we are bringing on young talent for digital dentistry in the fixed space. Uh, We're more attractive now, but the average age of a removable technician is dead. And uh, I'm I'm, I'm not dead yet, but uh, as as they say in Monty Python, but yeah, our skill set's been in demand my whole career as specialists. And uh, it certainly served me well because 
as I tell a lot of young technicians when I'm training and teaching, that if I'm teaching somebody to do significant ceramics, a lot of anterior dentistry, I want them to learn to set denture teeth first because they literally understand how to put teeth in a hole that have proper function, aesthetics, and phonetic function. Yeah. And it makes a big, big difference. But anyway, Joe hired me for that because uh, his removable manager was aging out even back then. And, you know, the rest is history. I stayed there for a few years and then I left and uh, ended up uh, opening my own lab for about three years and burned out, sold it to my employees because I am a shot out of a cannon guy. (laughs) And ended up working for Jelenko after that for about two years, moved back to Charlotte and met my bride. And uh, the rest is, so we say, history. I came to Charlotte. Uh, I worked as a private technician for about 18 months for an excellent general dentist. Believe it or not, casting my own partial denture frameworks, doing uh, crown and bridge and ceramics and processing uh, dentures Wow! in the IVACAP system. So I was doing full mouth reconstructions of what I call mixed media. Most of my patients had maxillary dentures with mandibular partial dentures because they had some combination of remaining anterior teeth and bicuspids with partials. And so I was literally doing mixed media, full mouth reconstruction. Never heard that term mixed media. I like it. It clicks for me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and I I did that for a couple of years. And during that time, I met Billy Drake in Charlotte. And uh, the first time I met him, he turned around and told Beth, he said, he'll be a part of our team. And uh, sure enough, we ended up being twins from separate mothers. (laughs) So let me go back here. You opened your own lab. What was the name of your lab and about what time frame was this? That was in 78 through 81, and and it was called Precision Prosthetics, or as one of my funny prosthodontic clients said, oh, it's PP Dental (laughs) And you sold that to your employees. Is it still around? No, no. They failed. Yeah. Unfortunately for them. But it was an escape mechanism for me because I burned myself to a crisp. I was working 20 hours a day, and I realized very quickly that I had skills that uh, could be focused on to allow me to have a less stressful life and uh, and be very, very successful uh, without all of the headaches. Yeah. You went and were an in-house lab. Yes. And you've done it all, man. You've... <laughs> Uh, that's that's one of the things that's really blessed me throughout my career is I've just had one after another experiences that provided me a tremendous amount of knowledge and understanding of the great nuances of this business, but also with a heavy emphasis on clinical dentistry. Yeah, I mean, to go from school to working for a prosthodontist to owning your own lab to going to Drake, I mean, you've seen like a spectrum of types of labs and types of the workflow. You've seen the crazy from the crazy to the crazy. <laughs> Hi, Barb. Hi. <laughs> Barb, you- I can jump right in there. Is it out of the oven? <laughs> yeah, I'm all good. Good. You didn't, no ch- you didn't break it this no. time? I didn't break it this time, Elvis, but the bite was off. So I used three wheels to grind in the bite to try to get it to, to centric so that I could get it over there. Guy forgot to take a bite. I'm just like, could this case be any more difficult? <laughs> just sent it on its way and had a custom shade. She just left and now I'm free. <laughs> Barbara, you're reminding me of why I'm glad I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yes, there, there's those days when I want to rip my hair out, but I still love it. Yeah, I still do the occasional case with some of my famous uh, clinician friends for teaching purposes. Oh, but, good uh, for you. I, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping my hands in it. And uh, matter of fact, I'm in Charleston now and I'll be adjunct faculty at uh, MUSC in about four days. So. Good for you. So did you guys start? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. David was going through his story. Last I heard, he uh, met Billy Drake. I was going to say, though, going back to that history as well, yeah. I, I've, known, I've known Barb's family since I've known Billy Drake almost within the same year. Really? And, so you uh, knew my dad as well? Very, very well. Yes. Really? And your mom. And your oh, mom. Yes. I knew you when you were a baby, you know. Wow. So did you used to go in uh, NADL meetings and everything with all of those guys? And, and Absolutely. With them? Yeah. So yeah. And whenever cool. when we were at national meetings, we almost always had dinner together. Uh, I, I love your parents. That's fantastic. I'll let them know you said hello. Please do. Was Barb a real bratty kid? 
<laughs> no, she was a, she was she was the same princess she is today. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yes, princess Elvis. Don't forget that. Yeah, and, uh, but that's, that comes from someone that's never worked for her. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure she. I'm sure she has her days too. Uh, believe me, I did. Oh yeah. I went through periods at Drake where I was the devil from uh, Hades, and uh, and then as I got further down the line, was only doing training and education. I became a prince. And, uh, and that's not such a bad thing, right? Yeah, I love it. I, I like to I like I like to nurture and development. That's always been my personality. So, how long were you at Drake? You were there for a while, weren't you? Thirty years. Holy! Oh my schmally. God! You're kidding me. No. Thirty years. Wow. The story there begins that I met Billy at a um, some sort of CE event when I was still a private tech, and essentially, I was just very impressed with he and Beth, and we connected on a personal level. And then I started talking to him about coming in and I joined him. I was the 13th person on that team. I ran removable while he was still running fixed, making crowns on the bench. And uh, oh, yeah. I will, and I will say that Billy and Beth are still very dear friends of mine. They all will always will be like family, but they are both very gifted dental technicians. Beth was a ceramist and, and Billy was. A, a, Is that his wife? Yes, Beth Drake. I is never his wife. knew that. I didn't realize she was a technician. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, they came up from Huntsville, uh, from Alabama. She was in another Alabama town, and he was in Huntsville. Billy's a remarkable story. He uh, started literally cleaning the bathrooms and cleaning the lab and making deliveries and, and is self-taught to the caliber of technician that he has been now for many years. He ran a scrimshire in Huntsville. Then he went to Oral Arts and ran that, managed it to 100 people, and then he came to Charlotte and wow. had an existing lab. We've tried wow. to get him on the podcast, but it's, we haven't been able to connect. Yeah, I, I hope that you can because he's one of the most colorful people you'll ever talk to. Oh, hell yeah. He is, Agree. <laughs> he is a blast. Yeah. I used to love sitting in the conference room with him whenever Jelenko would bring in international business owners when they did what we call the North American Bridal Tour, and they would always visit us. And it, I would sit there and time them to see how long it took them to figure out that he was the smartest guy in the room <laughs> because he would use Alabama euphemisms, you know, oh, yeah. like dog poop on a dirt road. And <laughs> except he didn't say poop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he said sleep. Yeah, <laughs> he enriched my life uh, beyond measure, and uh, it was it was a wonderful wonderful break for me again to find him and to spend those years. But I was the thirteenth person, and every seven years we tripled the size of the lab and moved until two thousand when we landed at what I like to call the Taj Mahal, which was that thirty thousand square foot laboratory cable equipped that they still occupy. And when we went into that lab in two thousand. And we built a full-blown training laboratory. I had a gentleman on my staff that had retired from the military that was a formal trainer in electronics with a teaching degree. And he had retired from the military, went to lab school. He was also a jeweler. He was very gifted. And uh, he came out, came to work for us, and uh, he became my full-time trainer. And we were going through Damas, and Damas really laid the foundation for us to write our work instructions, which was the basis of our full-blown training program. Wow. Yeah. We hired and evaluated with the uh, industrial psychology exams that we all use for metrics and brought them in and trained them. Because I had gone to school, I, I knew the curriculum, so basically we did everything we could in the first two years to have them meet the same level within their specialty as far as dental materials, uh, obviously occlusion, morphology, technology, and the science of dental materials. Wow. We were very successful with Damn. it. So this was all at Drake? That was all at Drake. And that was internal training. Yeah, the last 10 years I was there, I was I ran removable. And then as we built the lab and moved, Billy went to the office to run the business, which he is as brilliant as anybody mm-hmm. in this country at doing. Uh, he is well noted for that. Spent a lot of time on the NADL business management committees and uh, and learned and just he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. But I became the manager of the laboratory and I managed in the middle of our growth up through about 82, 85 people. But then we hired Dave Hodson and later Lamont Carpenter to, to help remove me from those responsibilities. And quite honestly, they saved my life <laughs> because because I was at, at 85 people, I was keeping a lot of balls in the air. 85 people. 
Jeez. And so from there, I went specifically into education and training. I started teaching initially at UNC in grad programs as a visiting lecturer. Over time, developed a five-part series covering everything that we do. And that then grew to VCU, MUSC, and I won't go on and on. But when I retired in 2015 from Drake, we were in nine dental schools teaching undergrad and postgrad. And it was a tremendous tool for us for continuing to build business almost exclusively through that. And podium presence, I was blessed to be able to do the Henman and the ADA and very large venues and co-lecture with people like David Little and Joe Massad. Uh, and Bob Lowe and and so forth. Do you like to lecture? I know you're you're still dabbling a little bit here and there, but did you always like to do that? Uh, When I was in high school, I would throw up before a book report. I know, (laughs) that's what I'm asking. (laughs) But I'm one of those people that if I can't do something, I'm going to challenge myself because it's, and it's not ego. It's just that I don't want to have any fear. Yeah. And so for me, I just forced myself into it. I stumbled through it initially, probably about maybe 83 or 84 is the first time I stood up in front of a group. And after that, I got comfortable. And then teaching in small groups with residents, uh, it very quickly evolved into me doing study club and dental society programs all over the mid-Atlantic. And as I became better at it and and better known, the larger meetings. And I've lectured in front of 5,000 people at the uh, ACP meeting a couple of times. And I just it's like talking to you. I don't think very much about it anymore because I'm so comfortable with the material that I'm discussing. It, uh, I've been called a conversational lecturer and I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree to that statement. And I agree that you seem very comfortable when you're up there. Like I mentioned, when we opened this thing, when I saw you at FDLA, not a couple of months ago, it, it was amazing. It was just very casual and comfortable. I mean, it's the way it should be. We don't know each other that well, but yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. I've stopped counting the number of times that I've presented, but I know it's over 700. Wow. Wow. Are you serious? 700? Well, including all the teaching in school as well as public. Yeah, I was lecturing somewhere for Drake uh, every week, except for the holidays, two or three times a week. Don't you run out of stuff to say? (laughs) because i get to say the same stuff over and over again because it's different people right yeah that's true yeah or as well my mother would have told you that i will never run out of anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can always rely on good old mom to tell the truth right mom predicted the future she said boy if you can find a way to make a living running your mouth you're going to be fine (laughs) i say this all the time in my lectures and i say you know what I'm fine. <laughs> so you said you're in Charleston. Are you in Charleston now? Is that where you're living? I'm living here. Yes. Charleston. Oh, I went to Charleston last year with my girlfriends and absolutely had a blast there. It's gorgeous. It's a nice girl's trip, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, the center of the universe is here. Our grandchildren. <laughs> we were all in Charlotte together up until about six years ago. And uh, my son-in-law came down, started a marketing firm. He is a Renaissance man beyond compare, musician, actor, Sweet. you know, and yeah, he's very, very gifted, as is my daughter. She's a painter. So they're here with our two grandsons, but we were all together in Charlotte when they were born and for the first few years. So the, the connection and the bond is strong and now we're all back together. So it's, it's really nice. So what do you do? Basically I'm consulting. I typically keep about five or six laboratory clients in rotation, if you will, that I consult with. Uh, And that's really become the biggest part of what I do since I left Drake, because quite honestly, we were so successful that most people that know of us and what we accomplished and the level we accomplished at are very curious to know how they can utilize that. So I have been blessed. I've been consistently working with laboratories, and I'm very proud to say that 99% of the labs that I've worked with, we've been able to triple their business in a matter of a couple of years. Wow. Well, it's just the the formula that we ran at Charlotte is a proven formula, just like Knight's formula. And that is that you educate and train your people. You have good operational management, systems management, and you take good care of your customers. You know, everybody's a partner in this business. I mean, your manufacturing partners have to win, you have to win, and your customer has to win. And if you take that mindset into your day-to-day business operations, I don't think you can help but be successful. 
You make it sound so easy. So, yeah. So take our (laughs) listeners through. So I'm going to call you and ask you to consult with my company. So like, do you have different areas that you focus on or do you focus on the whole business? What, What does that look like when you come in and consult? People call me for a variety of reasons, but usually it's because they're aware of the work that I did in Charlotte, developing developing that training system mm-hmm. and you know attracting talent, retaining talent as you develop them. Uh, but the way that I like to operate, for example, if I was coming tonight, I would not come to evaluate the operational health of your business because that's stupid. You you have tremendous operational health. But these small to moderate sized labs that are a dozen to 18 people, the owners on the bench, they're making teeth every day. They're mm. doing 50 things. Yeah. And so so the, what I like to do with those, which those are my clients, uh, is that I'll ask them for their sales by product. I'll ask them for their remakes by product. I'll ask them wow. for their labor, their labor sheet so I can see who's making what. And if they're tracking production, I want to know what production levels are. And so I evaluate all that, and I also ask, most importantly, for a list of everything that the owner does every day, and that's where I start. And so taking all that information and that list by the owners, I'm immediately looking for ways to get things off the owner's plate so that they can start to work in their business, not on their business. And so the idea simply is, is that the first step is to try to minimize that, but then I want to go in and spend two full days minimum and be a fly on the wall. I ask to be arranged to interview the key people, but I also want to interview people that have been there for four months or three months or whatever. I want to get a pretty good sense one-on-one of where people think they are and where the company is. And within that two days, because I've been doing this for so long and all that experience that I gained in Charlotte, I can see things literally the first two hours that I'm there that need to be addressed. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I do that and I'm very reasonable in those rates, but that's the beginning. And then I come back of course, with a report and a plan of action of where I think the priorities are and how to approach them. Hmm. I did a series, a three part series in JDT probably now four years ago on the operational management of dental laboratories And in those three short articles, I talked about the acquisition and retention of talent and training. I talked about operational health and I talked about sales and marketing. But the key to it is, is that it's not a difficult formula to follow. You just have to be organized. I also, much to Bennett's uh, appreciation, I recommend to every one of my clients as we go through this process of developing and setting them up for operational health, I tell them to buy the Domus Manual. Because I asked Bennett about this, and Bennett Pierce said, he said, David, we've sold over 600 Domus manuals, and there's never been more than 50 laboratories. And as I remembered our process, and Barb, I know you remember that yeah. early pain too. Yeah. When you go through that process, and if you do those things, whether you choose to be certified or not, you're going to have good operational health. Mm-hmm. And so I really use it as my blueprint to make it very easy instead of reinventing the wheel. And I've been responsible for putting a lot of those manuals out there, either from podium or article exposure, or actually also from my clients. I'm also a heavy believer in PTC because that's the system that we bought with Verification 2000. Mm-hmm. We'd always had PTC in Charlotte, but when we when we built the new lab and we built the training program, whatever we couldn't buy from PTC or someone on RPD frames like the Materials Densply developed, I wrote our curriculum based on our work instructions. And so the work instructions in Domus are the first thing that you want to get done because you start to standardize your processes and you find glaring holes and errors of people using materials incorrectly. I didn't realize you can get the Domus book without going through the program and becoming certified because I've heard a lot of people, I don't know if it's complain, but mention how hard it is to keep up on Domus, how expensive it is to keep up on Domus. Yeah, that's to maintain certification. You, yeah. You, anybody can buy the manual. I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. That really makes it a nice little blueprint for you. It's fantastic. I mean, and, and it is, I mean, you know, and Drake, of course, is still certified as is Knight. And, yep. you know, the key labs in the country, and, and certainly don't mean to cast aspersions on anyone that's not, because it takes a lot of man hours. Sure. It takes a lot of man hours to maintain. Now, once you get the system in place, it's not nearly as difficult, but it's that initial commitment of going through all those processes. And the one area that I think is remiss in this country 
and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more of a topic on this, is that documentation of lot numbers of materials. Yeah, and that is a key true. part of DOMIS. And it is also a requirement by the federal government. And people go, well, no, that's an opinion. So here's a little clue for all of you out there. When I went to call on dental schools after I got established in the four major schools in the Mid-Atlantic, I would ask for a meeting with the dean and the management committee of the dental school. I didn't just go in and say, we want your work. I said, I'd like to set up a meeting. And, uh, and I would refer them to other dental schools where I'd done this. And I would go in and meet with them. And I would uh, do a lecture to them uh, for about an hour on the state of the North American laboratory industry. I was asked to develop that lecture for an ACP meeting many years ago, and I was also asked as the editor of Journal of Aesthetics and Restorative Dentistry's lab section to write that article, Wow! which I did probably 12 years ago, and I'm proud to say that it was the most referenced article for a period of three years. But the key to this is simply this is I would go in and I would present to them and I would show them the FDA statute that said you have to document the lot numbers of every material that goes into a restoration. And Barb knows what I'm, she knows the pain because (laughs) because that full arch she just put in the oven, if that was a PFM, if she used 12 powders on that, the lot number of every one of those powders has to be recorded. And whenever our technician was casting alloy in in the casting room, he had a laptop sitting beside the casting machines And he would pick up a bag, write the lot number in on the doctor's case order in the computer, and then cast the metal. And we did it, and we followed it, and I know they still do to this day. That's the one that people tend to look at and go, we can't do this. But you know what? You can do this. You just have to consider it a cost of doing business and incorporate it into your production expectations. But it is powerful because I would go in and do this program and all of a sudden the deans turn around looking at the cross faculty going, are we doing this? And they're going, no, that's not required. And I've got a slide on the screen that shows it from the FDA as a statute. Mm. And so I would win business in dental schools like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. Agreed. And it just, it's, it's called CYA on the top, right. top degree. I mean, when you've got everything all listed and ready to go and organized and everything goes with everything, if they, if the FDA walks in, they are just going to be like so easy to find everything and, and get you everything you need. And if you don't have that in the FDA, I mean, you know, you know, specifically they could stay for days and days and days and days and just make oh, they'll camp out. miserable. Yeah. It's like when we had a state tax audit. That was fun. Uh, But that was many years ago. But nevertheless, uh, the idea behind all that is just it's good operational health and it increases the profitability. It it raises the the standard of work, you know, by standardizing processes. And uh, it also reduces remakes significantly. So there are a number of ways that taking these steps pay for themselves 10 times over. And that's what all my clients have told me is that uh, when they go back and really look at how much better their business runs, how much lower the stress levels are, that's my value is I'm trying to help the owner become a businessman instead of a technician and delegate, but operate at a, at a smoother, more predictable level. And, and Barb, your team at night and what you, what you folks have accomplished is also very miraculous. Very proud of y'all. Thanks. So are you um, traveling a lot? So you must be, huh? Are you all over? Are you like the United States or are you on your side of the coast or where have you been? Most of my clients are east of the Mississippi, but I have uh, worked with a couple of folks out west. I'm not limited. I've not traveled very much, obviously, during COVID, but I did I got on planes four times, and uh, but now things are really opening up again. I'm booked for you know for two or three activities for the next five months again, so we're we're kind of getting back there. The other piece of what I'm doing is that I tend to also want to work in the manufacturing space. I owe Billy and Beth a huge debt of gratitude because they understood that my skill set lended itself to working with manufacturers and consulting. Uh, And while at Drake, uh, for years, I consulted on the side, so to speak, with a lot of the key manufacturers in dentistry. But what it really did is it put us in a position to be on an evaluation team for new technologies and materials. So just like you and at night, Barb, everything was coming down the pike. We had it before everybody else and already knew if it worked and if we wanted it before it ever came to market. Yeah. So you're kind of like the R&D, the real world, real time (laughs) R&D for those guys. So you can put it on the bench and test it and say yay or nay. And that's really important, I think, for the manufacturers to have a laboratory 
at that level that they can give them real-time feedback and honest feedback, whether it's good or bad, because sometimes it's not great. Right. Sometimes they're not there yet. And uh, that's probably honestly been about 30% of my experience. But nevertheless, Billy and Beth agreed when they brought me back. I left for a brief period of time because we'll leave that alone. But I, I, wanted to be G- <laughs> I wanted to be GM. And they said they were afraid to do that because the other people that had come up through the system with me would, might be alienated. And I said, fine. So I went and did something else for six months. And then when I came back, uh, I was general manager. We'll just leave Aww. it at that. Nice. Beth told me, she said, uh, how could we miss you if you wouldn't go away? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that is true, though. Very true. Sometimes you really do have to step away and, you know, before, you know, you realize or others realize, you know, the value there. I'm sure they knew the value, but I understand the, the conflict that they were thinking. Makes sense. Yeah, and and quite honestly, I'm one of those guys who just does it if it needs to be done, and you know, and I I was doing it. I was doing a lot of different things that they were not aware of until I was not there to do them. Yeah. So you know, and that's just inherently in me. So, but anyway, it came back. It was uh, it was a very very successful run. I, I couldn't be happier with the way things went, and I think that uh, I learned so much being associated with that team. And I have to also mention that the young and brilliant Bob Savage and I became very good friends. I still talk to him every few weeks about something. And Bob's the one that really brought tremendous structure and organization to us because Billy and I were technician brain. Mm-hmm. You know, Beth would follow us around at LMT and go, nope, you can't buy that. You've already got two in the closet. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> we get all excited and go, wow, look at this. But Bob Savage brought a very disciplined business savvy to the team and uh, he would keep us kind of moving. Moving forward and not getting too technical brained, if you will. And uh, he led us through Damas and, you know, and the rest is history. Bob did a great job and still is. Yeah, he's a smart guy. But I also have to mention uh, Mark Stewart, who was there probably two months after I joined. And Mark ran substructure while I was running removable. And then he evolved into management, and now he's the lab manager. And, of course, Andre Taberge, who came to us from Canada through Ivo Claire. Oh, yeah, I know him too. Yep. Brilliant technician, brilliant ceramist, and he is now general manager. So uh, I'm really, really proud of those guys that they continue that legacy. And uh, there's so many other people that I don't have the time to name that they're still like family to me. You spend 30 years somewhere, you, you don't just leave and walk away unless something went wrong. Yeah. And it really wasn't about that. It was about me being ready to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. I think you put in your time there. 30 years is. A good run. I contributed, but uh, that is Billy Drake's loyalty. I mean, I would still be there and I would die there if uh, if I wanted to because we were like family and, you know, we were all very productive. I mean, we, we had a great team and uh, I do miss those guys, but I visit occasionally. And uh, again, like I said, I think I talked to Billy a couple of weeks ago and, and I talked to Bob once in a while as well. Yeah. Nice. So what you're doing now, working with the smaller medium labs, I'm curious if there's a consistency of issues that you see when you first walk into these labs. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some good examples that that you run into? First and foremost is that the owner is still trying to do everything because when you're a technician and you build a lab, it's you first and then you add people. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for us, Barbara and I, to trust other people with our baby. You know, so that we know it's not ego, but we just know if we do it, it'll be done the way we want it done. Yeah. Not necessarily right or wrong. And so from a psychological standpoint, it's very difficult for us to let go. And that's why I want that list, because I'm going like, why are you doing this? Yeah. And they go, I know. I'm just like, you know, it's just hard to let go. That's the most immediate impact that I have. Secondly, it's the fact that laboratories will at that size will say, oh, my God, there's no time to train. And if there's no time to train, you're not going to grow and you're not going to get any better. And that is a very hard thing to get the team to do is to go into a room and spend an hour learning something without looking at their watch and thinking about cases on the bench. Oh my God, you're so true. That is so true. And Barb knows this, you know? <laughs> and so it, it took me a while as we got into that formal process at Drake and, and a while when I go into these labs, they're looking at their watch and I'm going like, look, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have lunch every day anyway. And so when I begin training in busy laboratories, we do it at lunch. Mm-hmm. Same here. They're going to stop for an hour to eat anyway. So I said, you know, we'll bring in food. We're going to learn. And that's how we started. And then once they start 
seeing a difference in their work on the bench and their productivity and their organization, their buy-in is better, and they start to relax more and realize this is time well spent. And I think those are the two biggest difficulties to overcome. And, you know, we all hate change. I've made the statement for many, many years as an amateur psychologist that people will stay in a marriage that they are miserable in for 40 or 50 years. Hello. People people will stay in a job that they absolutely hate for 40 or 50 years because they don't want to make a change. That's really at the core of every challenge we have in sales of any kind. If somebody's if you go in a, an office and the light doctor's grinding on the crowns for 20 minutes every time they deliver them, they'll do that for the rest of their life as long as it's consistent, you know, <laughs> yeah. until they find something better and to get them to change the entire team, to change their pattern of behavior, which is pulling out that script, pulling out this box. You know, they're on autopilot. And now you're going to go in the middle of a, a, a jet propelled rocket that's moving a thousand miles an hour every day. And you're going to go, oops, no, we're going to change all this. That's why dental lab sales are so challenging. You can get a crown, but can you get all of them? And can you get them to make a change? I always used to enjoy going to an office and they'd tell me, oh, I don't like to change. The lab I'm using now comes every day to pick up. Well, so do we, you know? (laughs) You just have to change. It's psychology 101. Change is extremely difficult to accomplish. I find it fascinating that you said psychology because I was going to ask you if you feel like part of what you do is counseling. And then you said that. And I think you definitely have to be able to reach some of these leaders, you know, psychologically to get them to change. I mean, because it is so difficult. So you must be a part counselor. Absolutely. Coaching is everything. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm a diehard Tar Heel growing up in Durham. I hated Duke. I still do. <laughs> and the program, the lab program that I went to, even though it was in Durham, was affiliated with the UNC. So I'm I'm a diehard UNC fan, always was. I admired and followed Dean Smith in my youth, who was a legendary coach there. And uh, I followed his principles of leadership. And you got to be tough when you have to be tough, but it's really about encouraging and developing and mentoring. And uh, that that is my personality. I was the Boy Scout that literally did a good deed every day. Mm. You know, I mean, believe it or not. So I like helping people. I like seeing the light come on. I like helping people develop. And uh, I find it relatively easy to connect when I'm in laboratories with people very quickly and gain their trust and confidence. And that's so important in in really affecting any real change. It it really is. And, you know, I, I think when Elvis was alluding to how good of a speaker you are and how good of a talker you are, you have to have that. And you have technical background. And I think sometimes when when people come into the labs and they don't have a technical background, you just don't have respect for those people. I'm just speaking for myself personally. But I think when you come with all that behind you, I definitely can see where you could make change happen a lot faster because right off the bat, people respect you. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, It's just life experience and and really being blessed to have the opportunities present themselves to me. And I always like to say, somebody's always knocking on the door. You don't always want to open it, but if you're lucky, you'll open it at the right time. And, uh, you know, and and the other thing that I want to mention too, in laboratories uh, developing their business, uh, because I'm, this is a common thread for me in everything that I do is having a good knowledge of clinical dentistry. And uh, I've written about this extensively. Every time I present to a lab group, no matter what I'm talking about, I always talk about the fact that they need to make themselves as knowledgeable as possible on clinical procedures. That's really how we built Drake with one salesperson and me, if you will, is that we had the best technical support that we could possibly have. And uh, it all started in the very beginning with Billy and I going to every study club meeting we could get to and every lecture we could get to. We very quickly became the regional expert, if you will. And when a technician is sitting in a room full of dentists in a study club, you're the expert. And mm-hmm. you talk about the best way impossible to not only acquire business, but to acquire the right kind of business. Because if those doctors care enough to, after working all day, go out in the evening and learn something, that's the customer we want. 
They care. They're trying to get better. And so I tell technicians, I said every, and especially with the web today, and, you know, you can learn to do a kidney transplant on YouTube. (laughs) You know, I I really encourage them. I said, you need to spend your spare time when you've got nothing else better to do. You need to be on YouTube learning clinical procedures. And we did that. And I also pursued very heavily the best educators in dentistry. Sounds like name dropping, but I swear to you, it's true. I'm friends with Gordon Christensen, who is the man I told many times has had more influence on what dentists decide to do and buy than anyone ever will again. But also Frank Spear, John Coyce. And a lot of this was afforded to me because I was friends with very famous faculty at UNC. And as I was going to meetings and hanging out with the people that I knew, I was getting introduced to all the very best in dentistry. Jerry Sheesh is a personal friend of mine that I've lectured with. Joe Massad, I talked to yesterday. He and I are getting ready to do some programs together. But I sought these people out. And what was so impressive to my clients is if I got an oddball question or a set of models or something that just defied anything I'd seen, I'd duplicate models or just forward the information to some of the most famous people in dentistry. And I'd call my client and say, well, I'm going to shoot this over and have John Coyce take a look at this. They go, you're going to do what? (laughs) So that's how we built that lab is we built that lab, not with me or my colleagues telling a dentist how to practice dentistry, but we did it through having resources. And back in the days, I had shelves, and I know Barbara did too, mm-hmm. had shelves and shelves of copies of articles before we had computers that I was mailing to people on how to prep a tooth, how to take an impression, how to take a bite registration, whatever it was. And I just always maintained that library, and then it became a digital library. And when you can get them to the point that they rely on you. I call it interdependence. Oh yeah. Writing an article about it right now for JDT. When you can develop true interdependence, they're not going to leave you for $2 and they're not going to leave you when you make a mistake because we all make mistakes. Yeah. You know, relationship is much, much deeper than just, you know, your price or your marketing or superficial thing. It's really a relationship that's based in trust and codependence. You know, we can't live without them. And even though Serona might tell differently, they can't live without us. I agree. I always say that, especially the young dentists. If you get those young dentists under your wing and you can help develop them and help them work out all of their issues, they will love you for life. And important. The extension of that, too, is once you get some size and you get to an intermediate size where you've got some resources, the sooner you develop your own study club, and, uh, and not just a general study club, but your first study club, if you do removable, the first study club that you should develop with your clients is a removable prior study club because that is the number one yeah. thing they do not mm-hmm. understand. And you can minimize your remakes. And we did it successfully in Charlotte, and I know Barb has too. You build what I call super clients and yeah. disciples. And by doing that, you're continuing to educate them or procedures and processes, and and the young dentist especially, as Barb says, last 18 years, 19 years, they've had very little hands-on prosthodontic activity because over time, budget and too much other clinical material has really displaced it, and they no longer saw it as valuable, and so now they know very little compared to what dentists knew 20 years ago. So you're saying for a lab to put together their own study club focusing Absolutely. on removables, is this something that you would help the lab do? Of course I would. And, and it's it's not that complicated. It's just getting people together. And then, uh, you know, there are uh, resources out there that you can utilize to literally, if you, you know, if you're not comfortable presenting your manufacturing partners in the form of Ivoclare or Densply or whoever it is, they're more than happy to come in and provide content for the group. Mm. But if you're leading it and developing it, and it's not always that, which tends to be more infomercial yeah. based, it's got more genuine value. Plus it's you delivering the message, not someone else. Yeah, no, I get that. Cause I've, I've been part of some programs where they just bring in a vendor and it doesn't go as well as, as if they were presenting it themselves. Sure. Yeah. But at, at Drake, we would bring in, cause we had space after that uh, large lab was built, we would bring in five different uh, intro camera companies and have them all set their wares up in different rooms and different locations and bring in, uh, you know, 35, 40 doctors and have them do round robin through the process and get their hands on all the technology. Oh, nice. All kinds of, those are all the best marketing ideas as Barb knows very, very well. Yeah. And in that manufacturing space, I wanted to be sure that uh, to mention that the two companies that I am consulting actively with uh, 
for a year and a half now has been SS White, and they are the best kept secret in dentistry for you know technicians of the last fifteen years because they've been buried uh, in the catalogs of the dealers for years and have been around for one hundred and seventy seven years, and I've used their stuff my whole career but no one knows who they are. So they brought me in almost two years, well, actually two years ago now, and uh, asked me to help them kind of bring them to the light, if you will. And uh, that's what I've been doing. And I'm also responsible for the key accounts in the United States, including Knight. Yeah. I'm working with Lonnie Lee on some of those processes and Ryan Napolitano. Yeah, good. That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, they are a phenomenal company, and they've introduced new burrs for CAM, and I've tested everything, obviously, myself, and uh, the materials and trial products are fantastic value. So much for that infomercial. The most recent company that I'm working with is Amon Gerbach, which is, of course, one of the finest digital technology companies in the world. And uh, Jan Slor, who was GM at Densply, I know Barb knows him. Oh, yeah. Yep, from I do. About 10 years back. Well, he's new. He's the new leadership uh, at Amon Gerbach. And uh, although they've had fantastic technology for a long time, they've had some issues with some service and taking care of things when issues arise because they have been dealer oriented. And uh, Jan's been brought in to write the ship. And I'm very proud That's to say nice. that when he got there, he called me within, I guess, five, six weeks and has uh, contracted me to be kind of the, the fifth beetle. <laughs> for you. Fifth member of the management team to help him with the public relations, the industry relations, uh, but also with all things digital going forward. And they've got some exciting things coming down the pipeline, including, along with other companies, a 20-minute centering of it. For oh, what? Serious. For small, for small batch. And so uh, very excited about that. And the more I thought about that, too, it makes sense because in the beginning we had at Charlotte, we had the DP3000 printer and we could print 126 patterns for fixed. And they were phenomenal. The margins were great, you know, and we were going, wow, look at that. But who can handle 126 of anything? And so as we went further down the lean line and adaptation, we said, you know, that's not the answer. So when it wore out, we replaced it with multiple machines and smaller batches so that we could run lean and and move work through the laboratory in smaller batches. This new centering oven, even though it only holds three units at a time, which seems ridiculous, but the fact of the matter is, is when you have something go bad at the ninth hour or the 11th hour, you just mill it again, you throw it in, you center it, you're out the same day. And I think as these technologies continue to evolve, we're going to find a little large batch, larger batch capability that allows us to really run cases through the laboratory in, in smaller batches and be doing it repeatedly, yeah. very quickly. And so I think there's more than one way to look at that. It's not just a, an emergency savior, but I think it's also something that we need to consider in the lean manufacturing philosophy. Wow. I think we have to, don't you? You know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like my roundhouse that I dropped and broke last week. Oh, sorry, oh. I had to say that again. You couldn't center that in fifteen minutes. <laughs> no, no. Wish, but, uh, yeah. Right now, it's a three-unit limit. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, but twenty minutes versus six hours oh, yeah. minimum. Yep, it's fantastic. Barb, if you can get that down to twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elvis doesn't appreciate our pain. (laughs) Never. So, David, before we sign off, I want to briefly talk about your podcast. You have one yourself, The Lab Gab. I do. Talk about how that got started. Well, it was the brainchild of the folks at SSY. Okay. Carrie Nelson's the marketing director. Carrie's a pretty well-known entity in our industry as she's been at Serona and and CareStream and a few different places over the years. And she's a a great partner to work with in the marketing of of SS White. But she said, you know, we need to have more of a web presence and uh, why don't we do a podcast? And she came up with LabGab and off we go. As we talked about it and developed it, I told her I thought the most important thing for us to maybe differentiate ourselves a little bit, especially from the great work that you and Barb are doing, uh, is that we needed to keep it at about 15 to 20 minutes so that we could bring people on, have them really focus in on one topic that they want to talk about and share information, and then we're out. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way it's been set up because Barb and I are so lucky to have, as well as you, Elvis, obviously, to have so many friends in the industry. It's been very, very easy for me to get people 
people on. Yeah. Billy Goddard, who is a rising star yeah. in our industry, is a very dear friend of mine and was my client, my closest client. When my wife and I lived in Tennessee, we were there for three and a half years to help with her aging and eventually failing mother, who was like my mom as well. But I spent about the better part of three years there and I Billy was close and we became great friends. Yeah. Met him when I was consulting with Colzer. And uh, I spent a lot of time in his laboratory and, and helped him, I'm proud to say, significantly. But Billy was my first guest. But since then, I've had Travis Zick, of course, who everyone knows. Oh, yeah. president of in yeah. uh, ADL. I have had Amy Packer, who is a young lady that's president of the North Carolina Dental Society that's not as well known, but she's also a rising star. Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, met her. She is fantastic. And I'm very proud to say that I hired her off the street in Charlotte and trained her. No kidding. And oh. uh, I knew the minute I met her, she was going to be fantastic. And of course, she's doing very, very well. Cool. And then most recently, I had Oscar Gavitz, which is still in production. I had Dennis Urban. Mm -hmm. Good old Dennis, yeah. And I also had just like last week, uh, Jessica Burrell. Yeah. I've got Peter Peasy on deck. Yep. I've got a number of people on deck that are going to continue to really bring some valuable insights and uh and I'm really happy with what we're doing. And as you and I were talking, Elvis, I'm, I'm getting a little better at it in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 In the beginning, I'm going like, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, Barb, don't get any ideas about this 15 minute limit. Uh, oh, uh, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if, if, if I called me and said, can you do 15 minutes? I said, I, I think I can do the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's yeah. great. LabGab, I think it's cool. Barb and I both welcome more of this format in our industry because it's there's enough to go around. And I think it, the more people that do it, the more people hear about it. Absolutely. Exactly. It's all about building the industry, you know? Well, I'm happy to be in the club as a junior member. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find that on YouTube, right? That is correct. Yeah. Is it video or just audio? It's a, as my son-in-law told me, it's a vodcast. Okay. So there's it's, actually it's, video. It's, there's video. I said, I'm too old to even use that term. <laughs> <laughs> well, you used it quite well. My son-in-law gave me permission. There you go. <laughs> and I've done a few uh, quick bite sessions uh, with Zon too on SS White products and technology with a focus on technique. So I'm, I'm, I'm staying nice and busy. I'm enjoying this and uh, this is really helping me stay vital. But uh I'm especially pleased to have the relationship with Amon Gerbach because uh, that's going to be a lot of fun and uh, and really bringing that forward. I, I had such a good relationship uh, with Jan uh, and the team at Densply during those years. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to do that. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you guys having me on and and Barb, especially with you. Uh, yeah, we, go, we, you. Go, we go way back. And of course, Elvis, uh, I wanted to name my son Levi. And my oh, wife said no. And I said, well, how about Elvis? And she said, no. So <laughs> I, I tried. <laughs> now, I love a, it. And you are an Elvis, by the way, buddy. I yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Don't let his head get too big. It's a blessing and a curse to have the name. People uh -huh. remember it when you do good, but they also remember it when you do bad. So, Well, you got the charisma and the chutzpah. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming along. Well, he's got a good mentor. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. That's great. I had no idea all that about you, but like I mentioned, man, you've been around. You've seen about every aspect of our industry that I think you could see. Yeah, I hope not. I hope there's more to see. Yeah. <laughs> True that. Never stop learning. Yeah. Well, people said, I thought you retired. I said, you quit, you die. Yep, exactly. I'm having too much fun. Totally agree. Keep having it. And hopefully uh, I'll see you on stage again here real soon. Looking forward to it, buddy. Awesome, David. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye. The Asiga Max, the world's most advanced lab 3D printer, offers exceptional productivity. Well over 400 labs in the U.S. can attest to its accuracy, speed, and precision. With the 62 micron print precision, the MAX is optimized for both the dental lab or the clinical environment. Its exclusive SPS smart positioning system technology guarantees that every single layer is formed accurately, resulting in consistent results in any environment. And 
Its single point calibration makes calibration extremely accurate and fast. As an open material system, you can print any suitable resin from any material manufacturer. Your choice, no strings. The Max also features the fastest material changeover of any 3D printer. Labs love this. Change completely from one print resin to another in under 30 seconds, which is really amazing because you and I both know how hard that is. All of this and the finest, most dependable technical support staff in the dental lab industry. Call Whitmix today or visit Whitmix.com to find out more about the Asiga Max. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. So guys, have you seen the high prices of precious metal these days? They are close to record highs on gold and palladium. We know that you are using less precious metals in your lab these days. But if you send in half of what you sent in five years ago, your scrap return will be higher than it was five years ago. Because of the high PM prices, you owe it to yourself to find a trusted, reputable refining company. Look no further. Colzer Refining has been tested, trusted, and reputable for over 100 years. They burn, melt, and assay all under one roof at their state-of-the-art refining facility in Wardburg, Tennessee. They have doubled their production capacity to ensure your scrap return within two weeks. They use an ICP for their assay technique with the fire assay method if needed as well. With all the non-precious material that has become present in today's restorations, it is important that we ensure the assay sample is homogenous. At Colzer, they take the extra step to x-ray the top and the bottom after they melt the bar to make sure the precious metal percentages are the same. If not, copper is added until they are positive and the bar is homogenous. They know that this step is very important to get a precise essay result. Their reimbursement to the customer is after their 10% refining fee. They have zero additional fees. If you need any free shipping containers, which contain a UPS prepaid, fully insured label, please visit mydental360.com forward slash refining or call the director of precious metal refining, our friend Tony Cercelli, directly at 914-906-1843. So collect those vacuum bags, floor sweeps, miscast and spills, and get the best scrap return in the industry with Colzar Refining. Tested, trusted, and honest. And we appreciate your support of the podcast, Colzar. Thank you, David, for coming on our podcast. Big thank you. I've known you for a long time. I think you actually talking about knowing my dad and my mom. Probably been 30 years, 30, 40 years um, that he's been around that known him. So I respect all that you've done for our industry. You've been super amazing. Good luck to all of your endeavors, not just with the foundation, but the education that you've provided with so many different events and lectures. If you get a chance to see him on stage, guys, take advantage of the opportunity to soak up some of that knowledge like a sponge. He's an amazing sharer. So thanks, David. All right, everybody. That's all we got for you. We'll talk to you next week. All righty. See ya. Bye. That's an ADD moment right there. Yep. Uh, <laughs>